Do Good Charlotte is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it. Welcome to Do Good Charlotte on the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. I'm Pamela Escobar. In each Do Good Charlotte podcast, you will find out who's helping, who could use a helping hand, and just how you can spread around your own good. In this episode of Do Good Charlotte, we're going to meet Randall Hitt, the Chief Engagement Officer for Roof Above. Roof Above is an interfaith organization dedicated to bringing the community together to end homelessness, one life at a time. And we'll inspire you to do good, Charlotte, by the various ways you can get involved with Roof Above and help people who are experiencing homelessness. Randall, welcome to Do Good Charlotte. Thank you, thank you. I'm excited to be here with you. So let's, let's talk a little bit about um, how you started at Roof Above. Um, for those who aren't familiar, Roof Above is the new name for the merged Urban Ministry Center and Men's Shelter of Charlotte, right? That's correct, that's correct. We are very good, you, you, you did your homework. So yes, Roof Above's our newly merged name at uh, I think we announced it uh, back in May. So, yeah. So how did you get started with them? Well, so I first started at the organization when it was Men's Shelter of Charlotte. And I did that about uh, five years ago. It was in August of 2015. Uh, I'm proud to say that I'm a Charlotte native or, or grew up here uh, all but two years. And after graduating college at Appalachian State and doing graduate work at UNC Charlotte, I entered into this world of nonprofits. And I started my work uh, at a place called The Relatives, which a lot of people know. It's a youth crisis shelter. And fast forwarding, so you don't go through all of my career, but I've really spent most of my time in nonprofits, specifically social services. And I think it's because it's so basic in nature in the sense that uh, what social service agencies do are such, are such wonderful basic needs. And for me, having the opportunity to work at Men's Shelter of Charlotte, I know a lot of people remember Men's Shelter of Charlotte as a shelter, you know, a safe place to go and getting shelter. But what was so uh, amazing to me is the work that's done at the shelter to help people get a pathway to housing. And for me, uh, and my kids, and I have three beautiful daughters, you know, I know what a home means. What, you know, having a home base, uh, you think of the term home, and it's always something great. It's the home team advantage, home base, home cooked meal, kids coming home for the holidays, everything about home. And so I was attracted to Men's Shelter of Charlotte and the passion behind the mission of ending homelessness and creating that experience. So that's what really led me there. And I've been there ever since. And of course, uh, we engaged in a merger with another wonderful organization rooted here in Charlotte called Urban Ministry Center, which while we didn't really have the same services, we shared that mission of ending homelessness. Uh, so I'm proud to continue my work there uh, personally and kind of live out uh, my professional passion. Yeah. And so I, I am looking at your background a little bit, and it says that, um, or you sh sent over your bio earlier, and you were t saying that you studied criminal justice and public administration. Mm -hmm. um, so how does that inform your work? Well, I think, you know, a lot of people hear criminal justice and they think law enforcement. <laughs> and I knew pretty early on that wasn't really the track that I wanted to take, but it was about engaging with individuals. And public administration really 
uh, provided the study to look at the infrastructure and planning uh, and support around engagement in the community. So when I kind of married those two together with criminal justice and public administration, uh, it allowed me to, to kind of live out my passion early. You know, early on, I would say, you know, a lot of people say you never know what you want to do until you grow up. And I still sometimes feel that way. But I'll also say that early on, what excited me was to just be a part of an organization that was making a difference and to be a critical part of that. And that's what I had been able to find in the work that I do, you know, whether it be starting at the relatives and I worked at uh, Caring, which some people knew as Community Health Services. Uh, so admittedly have moved around a few times, but it's all been centered on being a part of an organization that I really feel passionate about that's making a difference. So I think the educational background helped uh, kind of catapult me into that world of nonprofit. And then for folks getting into nonprofit, they I think they would all agree that it's so relationship-based. Uh, it's people-based because we serve people and it's about people serving people. And even if you look at the philanthropic side, it's about people giving to people. And so kind of all that together is just exciting for me and very fulfilling. Uh, so that's what I'm able to live out every day in my work at Roof Above. So going back to the relatives when you were working there um, with runaways and homeless teens, um, who were some of the kids that you met? What was that like? Um, you, it sounds like you were a kid at the time too. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, the relatives is, is, is a wonderful place. It's a crisis shelter for kids seven to 17. And I was really in my early 20s uh, when I worked there. So it was kind of hard because I grew up uh, even though I lost my father very young when I was age 13, I certainly would not have considered myself uh, living in any traumatic situations. I was kind of your normal child that grew up with a very supportive mother and supportive parents. So, um, you know, not only did I meet youth there that were experiencing maybe a homeless situation, but there were so many youth that would come through during the year that were really just in crisis. Uh, these might be children that, for whatever reason, uh, their family network was broken up. And whether it be put into a supportive foster care environment or Department of Social Services custody, uh, they didn't have necessarily that personal family network. And then we had quite a few youth that came uh, who were just struggling with their parents to the point that they needed a break. They needed a separation. They needed a pathway because it had gotten into such a crisis mode. So I would say it was eye-opening in the sense that uh, it, to see families going through that and to see youth going through that at such an early age, you know, uh, knowing that your adolescence, just being a normal 13 or 14-year-old can be hard enough. But if you compound that with not having such a great uh, family environment for whatever reason, uh, it's just eye-opening and, and, and knowing what that can lead to as you enter into adulthood. Well, I, th I think that's what's interesting about the, the topic of homelessness is that people don't, I mean, just the word says you don't have a home, right? But it's so much more complicated than that. Than that. And so I think what's interesting is that the beginning of your career, you're learning just because that's not your experience um, it's helpful to see other people's experiences and then start seeing how complex it can be 
Um, it's not just as simple as you don't have money for a home. Right, right, exactly. I mean, one of the things that you would hear if you're kind of working uh, in the environment that I work in sometimes is you meet people where they are. You know, some people have said, heard that, you know, meet people where they are. And that's exactly what happens in the world uh, in which I'm working. And that happened at the relatives. Uh, you were meeting people where they were in their life. And each of these individuals that seeks out care, seeks out help, they all have a unique story and they all have complex stories, you know, but there is a common thread there. And the common thread uh, many times is, is the loss of a support network. Uh, it could be the loss of a family support network. It could be the loss of a friend support network. Uh, you name it, but it's the loss of that network. And there might be reasons why that happened. It could be personal decisions. It could be environment. It could be just something happened. But that's typically uh, what you'll find with folks that are kind of turning to places like the relatives or places like Roof Above or other nonprofits on that basic need level is that they've lost that network. And, and, and there's no other option anymore. So yeah. that's, that's that's one thing that I learned pretty quickly. So you learned that, at, and then you still are seeing that every day, right? At Roof Above, people are without their network. And then I guess they don't recognize, they don't necessarily realize that that's what they're going to get at Roof Above. That, um, is right. that they're establishing a new network, right? That's right. I mean, part of our work in a lot of social services work is about trying to connect people to whatever that network is. And even, even for homelessness, you know, a lot of times uh, we can help someone end their homelessness because we get them into housing. You know, we either get them into a housing unit and help them temporarily for a year or 16 months, or maybe it's somebody who we're actually helping into what we call permanent supportive housing, which is we're gonna, we're gonna have you in this housing unit, and we're gonna support you permanently, you know, through rental subsidy and support services. Uh, but that doesn't change one's uh, need for building social capital like we all have. Uh, so, you know, part of our work is really trying to make sure people get connected to not just that ultimate mission that we're serving, but how do we help them integrate back into having that social network that maybe a lot of us have and take advantage of uh, to be of assistance in our lives. Right, because if you're going to end homelessness, um, you need to get them solutions that are going to be long term. Because if not, after that year, then they could end up back in being in the same place. That's right. That's right. We, you know, we we want to end the homelessness as quickly as possible. That's why uh, a lot of people may have heard the term "housing first, You know, which basically means, listen, you you might have a lot of issues you're experiencing, but we're not we're not going to try to fix all those first before we get you into housing. We want to get you into housing. Uh, so sometimes we can do that, but that does not necessarily mitigate substance use challenges, mental illness, employment challenges, uh, disability, and those types of things. So that we know when people are getting into housing, that doesn't equate to all their ills uh, being solved. And and I learned that even early on at the relatives. You know, when I worked, uh, that is a uh, that is a facility or a, a home like setting that's a shelter. Uh, that I still think holds true today, that you can only be there for 14 days. So sometimes uh, uh, a youth could come there, we could really address some issues and maybe provide that link for some st stability for that family. But we would know when they're going to leave uh, our facility, their journey in, in many levels is is either just beginning 
or it's just continues on from what 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 has begun uh but it's never going to be the end all of everything you know that's why anytime you hear nonprofits uh share wonderful success stories which we always like it that, that's really never the end of their story totally right. uh it just means that they have to to continue on sustaining uh, whatever they've built in their life to improve themselves. So let's talk more about Roof Above and the services that you provide. Uh, there, there are two overall arching homeless services and housing programs. So right. what does that mean when you're giving homeless services and then what are the housing programs? Sure. So a lot, so you're exactly right. Uh, if you look at Roof Above and we are a larger entity, we have a myriad of programs and I, and I would encourage people to think of us in two ways. One is Homeless services, one is kind of housing programs. So if you take a look at homeless services, that's actually what a lot of the community knows us uh, from. Uh, we're rooted in that. Actually, the genesis of our organization, which was Men's Shelter of Charlotte in 1981, uh, originated because there were three men who tragically died uh, uptown during the winter because there was no shelter to go to. And so the community said, enough is enough. We need to provide a shelter. So. Uh, there are a few basic services that we provide to individuals experiencing homelessness. Uh, shelter is one. You know, we have a shelter for men that right now is among a few different locations that uh, has a little more than 400 beds, I think, right now. Uh, but we also have a day services center, uh, which most people know is Urban Ministry Center, where you can come for things like laundry and showers, checking your mail and lunch also some resource support there. Uh, and also we have a street outreach team that is uh, engaged in going out to people who are unsheltered and trying to get them connected to resources to shelter ultimately to housing. So if you take all of that and group it together, those are kind of our homeless services. And a lot of people know it because there are so many wonderful volunteer experiences that people have had through either coming to the shelter and serving meals, doing the same thing at day services center. Now our housing programs, which is what roof above continues to grow is, is really our ultimate solution. You know, by the way, when people ask us, well, what's the answer to homelessness? You know, we always say housing, that's it, housing. Uh, so we have a few different housing programs that are geared for trying to help people get back into what we would call market rental housing, which is kind of like what you and I might be exploring. We got to go rent an apartment. Let's go out there and see what's available. Uh, those are a lot of folks who are employed. They're not making as much money. Uh, they're situationally homeless. Uh, that's one of our struggles is how the heck do we find something that's affordable for the income that they're earning? So there are programs that we call it rapid rehousing. We can get people into an apartment through relationships we have with landlords and property providers, help temporarily, but ultimately they're going to have to sustain on their own. A whole nother side of our organization is what we call this permanent supportive housing, which is either having our own properties that we manage or working with landlords that we can have somebody who uh, we would call chronically homeless frequently has a disability, is going to need permanent help that we can get them into a unit. And uh, as long as they can maintain, we're going to assist them with their rental subsidy, as well as support services like access to a nurse or to a social worker, because they're going to need that type of care. And while a lot of people might think, well, that's awfully expensive venture, you know, really what that's doing is not only transforming those individuals' lives, 
but it's also getting them into a situation where they are not accessing the healthcare system in the emergency room and engaging with the criminal justice system over and over and over again because they have a home base. They have that support and care around them. Uh, so that kind of captures our housing programs. And really between all of those services that I just mentioned, every day uh, and every night we are serving, uh, I think it's about 1,200 individuals. And those are people that are either accessing any of those services I mentioned for homeless services or people that we have in our housing program. So we, we're very proud of that. We continue even during the pandemic to move people home because we want to be an organization that's creative and innovative and focused on not just providing quality, amazing care for someone who is experiencing homelessness, but how are we getting them connected uh, to the right pathways for shelter and housing? Yeah, and I think that work piece is also important. I don't think people re recognize that um, people who are experiencing homelessness, some of them are working. Like they actually have jobs. They just don't have an opportunity to um, find an affordable place to live. Um, so when, when you're helping these individuals, um, I mean, I don't know what your day-to-day -day is like um, with you. It sounds like you've moved up in your career. So to be chief en engagement officer, I'm not sure what that entails, but um, do you have an opportunity to engage with some of the, the people that are getting your services? And, 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 and I, I know that they're not all the stories have a positive ending, but are there some people that just stay with you? Yeah, absolutely. Steven is somebody, uh, he's somebody that I met when we were still men's shelter of Charlotte. So even, even though it's an older story, so to speak, it really sits with me and I can see his face, uh, in my mind because he had such a, uh, a smile. You know, it started out because when I was fundraising or working as a development director, I would go into the shelter and I would talk with staff and sometimes I get to know shelter guests. And I would always see this gentleman there. He, he was walking with a cane. He would always walk slow. He was a little bit older and uh, he had a kind of a top hat on and he just, he always had a smile, always something positive. So I got to know him a little bit and just talk with him here and there. And then one day I didn't see him anymore and uh, was hoping that he was a great success story, which fast forward and he actually was. Uh, I got connected to him through a housing case manager when we were saying we were trying to just find a story that would be inspirational. And he said, I got this guy for you, Stephen. And I didn't put it together that it was the Stephen that I used to see all the time that I really didn't get to know other than, man, this guy is wonderful. I knocked on the door and he opens that door with his cane and his top hat. And I said, it's you, it's you, Stephen. And he said, yes, it's me. Uh, and he was at this wonderful apartment community. It was more geared for senior living because he was a little bit older. And so that, that uh, you know, I proceeded to sit down and said, well, this is wonderful because I really never knew your story. And he proceeded to, uh, he proceeded to share with me a story. And the first thing that sat with me that was amazing, because a lot of people don't realize this, he said, you know, I, he said, you know, I graduated from Chapel Hill in, in 1980-whatever, very, you know, uh, you know four-year degree business and all of that. And, you know, it, it struck me because it does, you know, a lot of people think, well, no one in there has a college degree. They probably don't have much of an education. Here he was at Tar Hill. Uh, and, and so he went there to study business because he... He was a barber. That was his livelihood. And 
what I loved about it is he described it to me like if you've ever heard someone who who uh, their grandfather was a police officer, I, my father was a police officer, I'm a police officer. Well, that's the way he was from a barber. Apparently, lots of people in his family were barbers. And, you know, he went to school, business, he, he wound up finding his passion in cutting people's hair and uh, rented a booth at a barber shop, I guess, and wound up creating his own business. You know, he and then I think he was renting a booth or two to other people. And that was going along nicely. As he said, he was he was good. He was making money. Uh, he was he was doing great. And uh, that was until he started to find himself shaking here and there. And he didn't think much of it. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a male, no, but no males like to go to the doctor. I mean, I hate to say that, but he was one of those. He didn't. He just I'm fine. And one day he happened to be taking a shower and his dizziness got so bad that he slipped, fell, and that was enough for him. He had to go to a doctor and he went to the emergency room. And what they found is that uh, he had uh, like a brain leakage that was slowly debilitating his body. It's kind of one of those things that you can live with it, live with it, live with it until it kind of gets to a point where it says enough in your body. So as he described, he he really had to take care of that very quickly, putting a brain shunt, uh, you know, going through that medical procedure and rehabilitation. So the good news was he survived all this. You know, the not so good news is he never could regain his balance. And if you remember me saying how he kind of walked around slow with a cane and all, that was because of what he experienced uh, with his brain condition. So as you can imagine, somebody who has a livelihood of, of you know, using scissors and, and, yeah. and shaving people and you're shaking now and you can't ever carry your balance, you have lost it. You have lost what your lifelong passion was and, and what you were so much enjoying. So in his words, that was that was a downturn for him. He could not, even though he had a business degree, he could not uh, get himself to redirect himself to some new career after working so many years as a barber. So for him, he lost his business. He lost his family network. He lost his house. Uh, that's when he turned uh, to substance use uh, to, to kind of mask his ills. So that went on, uh, I think, for a couple of years that he was in and out of couch surfing, in and out of family, friends, and whomever. And he finally got to the point that he felt like he had two doors that he was going to walk through. Either one was going to be, he was going to walk through this door and he was just going to die outside. Or the other is hearing from someone and knowing about this shelter that was on North Tryon Street. Uh, so he decided to make his way up there and, uh, you know, became a part of the shelter there. And, uh, you know, even though there's a lot of men there, and there's a, uh, you know, you have to navigate a lot of services. I think he gave his life to wanting to change it for the better. So he took advantage of the uh, partnership we have with the county that has a uh, substance use prevention program embedded in the program. He took advantage of connecting with what we call as a housing case manager that says, okay, I'm glad you're, you're doing okay here in the shelter, but let's talk about your plan here. Uh, so, you know, through all of this and his age, uh, he was able to, uh, qualifying uh, eventually get an income through disability 
and he was able to get into a subsidized living situation, very fortunately, which a lot of folks know in Livian, uh, kind of a, a place that's geared for someone older. And that's where I was meeting him that day at this, this wonderful home. We actually interviewed and sat out on his balcony. Uh, and that is just a story that will always sit with me. And I, and I would see him periodically because he got involved with a church that just used to come with their van and offer to take people to church. And he would come with the van. I don't know. He got connected to, to that group. So we have some wonderful pictures that he agreed for us to take with a professional photographer that I think a couple are hanging still in our administrative office. But uh, it's just very touching because it does make you pause. And so if I'm ever having a down day or, you know, you can uh, you know, hear my voice after a few years, you know, if I can just, you know, I think of people like Stephen because there are many Stevens out there. They may not be the same exact scenario, but they have something in their life uh, that brought them to the lowest point in their life. Um, you know, we've got other people that I've met through our day services center and our shelter who have been homeless for 20 years on and off yeah. uh, with mental illness. And I've seen them succeed. One that comes to mind for me is a gentleman, I'll just give you his first name, Eddie, who struggled a lot with mental illness. Is not that old, but years in and out of homelessness and on the streets. And he came to the shelter and he was one of the hardest people to reach. And it was our shelter director at the time said, I know how you get them. You just, you have candy in your office. You know, apparently he had a thing for candy. Um, as a matter of fact, we kind of highlighted him on a video and he did not want his face shown, but we had a heart of kisses because he liked chocolate. And that was his way to break a barrier. And through a lot of engagement with our staff and through several months, he is now living at our apartment community that we call More Place. That's and great. He's there. And he, you know, every once in a while, he will still come to our day services center to get lunch and be like, hey, hi, Eddie, how you doing? And he looks pretty good. And he's just he's living. He's living his life. And I think that's what I see in Eddie. That's what I see in Stephen. And that's what I see in the hundreds of people that we house every year. Uh, if you, There's a different look in their eyes. Uh, there's a different aura in their body. You know, I can't tell you the people we've seen. I'll share one more if you've sure. got time. With, yeah, we do. Uh, uh, this, if you, if you could see the pictures, uh, we, we actually spotlighted him in a recent story. Uh, his name is Willie. I'll just say Willie. But I, I want to tell you, it's now February, February 2021. So what I can tell you is in January of 2020, I first met Willie underneath the bridge that is right by our day services center on North Tron Street. Yep. Literally had been sleeping there and uh, struggled with alcoholism. So many times was, was, was quite uh, inebriated. And I always was concerned he was going to walk right out into traffic. If you pictured he had a beard as long as what people would imagine was Santa Claus, but not beautifully white and just struggled with so many areas. Well, during the pandemic, uh, our outreach team really engaged with him through a partnership with the county. We are managing a motel 
that was geared for people highly vulnerable, 60 years of age and older with some other vulnerabilities. Well, we were able to move him in. We, we were able to get his trust to move him into this motel. And he subsequently, after months of outreach with him, we've been able to move him into uh, an apartment unit. And I can tell you, if you see a picture of him from where he was before and after where he wow. is now, and even uh, Hannah, who leads our outreach team, uh, was meeting with him. You know, he still struggled to drink uh, and we were getting him help, but she had met with him, I think it was about a month or so ago, or maybe it was maybe it was more in the December time frame. And he had talked about, I haven't drank for two weeks. And he just, for whatever reason, decided, you know, but, but, but Hannah's description of him wasn't just about a man who, great, we got him into housing. It's the transformation of his look and his being and his self-worth. And so, you know, what I would really picture for anybody listening on this podcast, when you're thinking about homelessness, whatever your preconceived notions, what I really want you to focus on is when someone is housed, what that does for their mind, what it does for their body, what it does for their soul. And it is incredibly humbling. Uh, it's it's uh, joyful to bring you to tears, uh, but it shows you the the human the humanity in the world. Yeah, that's that's really beautiful what you, you describe. So it sounds like there's still a lot of hope when you're when you're speaking with these people. Um, I, I, I want to talk about how there's been a renewed interest in homelessness uh, mm -hmm. during the pandemic because um, it's become, a, I guess, a more visible issue with the tents, which are near you, roof above um, right. and, and along 277. I guess I just I just want to make it clear to people that this is not a new issue at all. Um, so has this attention helped your work mm -hmm. or affected your work? It, it, it has. And so one, I'll say yes. I, I, well, one, I'll say I love that you said it is, 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 it's not a new problem. Uh, you know, many of us, not just Roof Above or formerly Urban Ministry Center, Men's Shelter Charlotte, but many other organizations that have served those experience in homelessness, Community Link, Salvation Army, Supportive Housing, Community Charlotte Family Housing, for a long time, you know, have talked about these issues and that housing uh, is the solution and and having access to the right housing and affordable housing is is where there's a gap. I think the pandemic uh which uh kind of uh was the you know helped spurn this uh organic encampment that we have that is very near to our day services center has made uh homelessness much more visible. And I think that has caused people to have that top of mind conversation. So what I would say is, has it helped? I would say absolutely it has helped in the sense that we have made this a very high priority community conversation. The hard part is uh, when, you, when you dig deeper into the conversation about, well, how do you address these issues and what should be done? Of course, you're going to have what I would say is spirited dialogue. You'll have people perhaps with different ideologies, different philosophies. Uh, and so that's where the hard part is. You know, there's not a person that I've met as I've spoken to groups, whether it's, if you want to label them conservative, liberal, you name it, 
there's very rare that I would meet somebody that would tell me and look me in the eyes and say, I don't think housing is an issue in Charlotte. I've, I've never met anyone like that. I've, I've, most everybody would raise their hand if I said, do you think affordable housing is, is a challenge for a significant number of folks who live in our community? I think almost everybody would raise their hand. If I dug deeper and said, well, let's talk about what we think the solutions are, well, then hands are going to go in all different directions. So I think that one of the hard parts is, 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 is bringing our community together to really come up with the best solutions that put all of the folks that live here in the best possible position that they can have what I think everyone needs and should have, which is a safe, affordable place that's decent uh, in which they can go home to at night. Absolutely. But there's, there's still people, especially now because of the pandemic, um, who are using your services, um, but they still choose to live unsheltered or live outside, mm -hmm. right? There are. And you know what I would say about that, and I'm glad you asked about that, a lot of people will say, well, gosh, there's just some people that they, they, they want to live outside, you know, and they, they don't want to kind of live within the rules or the structure. You know, what we'd say to that is uh, there are some people that I think have their own personal barriers to uh, moving them into shelter. Uh, and you, you have a lot of folks who are dealing with substance use. You have a lot of folks who are dealing with mental illness. I think what happens is, depending on what the choices are right in front of them, you know, if you could offer folks who are living in an unsheltered situation, say, we've got, we've got a place for you to be. It's kind of your own apartment or your own efficiency unit or your own home, you know, not necessarily saying, well, we've got shelter for you. There's 220 people, you know. I think that you'll find a lot of people that that's where they would go if, if that was available to them. Uh, but particularly during the pandemic, uh, given that we were operating, we're now operating uh, our shelter system, so to speak, out of motels, but uh, we still have a nightly winter shelter that is a congregate shelter. You know, there were a lot of people that would say, I don't want to go to a congregate setting, even with all the protocols you keep telling me about masking and spatial distancing and all those things. So there are some folks uh, who would choose not to do that or someone experienced a mental illness that going to a congregate setting where you have more than 150 or 200 people around you is just not conducive uh, for that individual. But I, would, I wouldn't necessarily, I would, I would, um, have people reflect and encourage them to not jump to the conclusion that they just don't want to do it because they just would rather be outside, but to ask what's, what's the real underlying reason that's telling them that my best option is outside. And if you can get to that, you might actually be able to uncover the real situation uh, to be able to get to your pathway to housing. And that's, that's the work of what I mentioned with our street outreach team. They've got to go out and build that trust and really work with folks and work means I'm going to sit and I'm going to talk with you. And we're going to talk about what your situation is. We're going to meet you where you are. And hopefully if we can uncover what is that barrier that's holding you, if we can lift that from you and release you of that burden, uh, we'll be in a much better position to get you into housing. I love that. I love that Roof Above is working on those relationships and building them to get to address that issue. So we'll, we're going to take a break right here. This is Pamela Escobar. You're listening to Do Good Charlotte. After the break, you'll hear about how you can get involved with Roof Above.
At Ortho Carolina, my personalized orthopedic care begins with the click of a mouse because online scheduling saves me time. Ortho Carolina, my care, my way. Schedule your appointment today at orthocarolina.com. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. At Ortho Carolina, my personalized orthopedic care doesn't have to wait because after hours, urgent care knows accidents happen. Ortho Carolina, my care, my way. Schedule your appointment today at orthocarolina.com. So there's a lot of people listening that says, I want to do that. But you just told <laughs> us before, you just told us before that right now you can't have volunteers. Um, so how, if I'm interested in helping Roof Above with your mission and to have more stories like, like that, yeah. um, how can I help? Sure. Well, so the first thing is there, there are ways to engage with us. Uh, I know people are like, oh, he's sending it to a website, but I would say there, there That's is, good. A, there is a, we don't have our Roof Above website fully developed, but uh, if people visit urbanministrycenter.org or, or just search Urban Ministry Center in Charlotte, You'll very easily get to our website. You can navigate very easily on how to help. Uh, we do have opportunities for people to sign up for some basic services like preparing bag lunches at home and bringing it to one of our locations, uh, preparing sandwiches and bringing it to our day services center because we offer a, a bag lunch every day, every day. Uh, there are times, you know, it ebbs and flows on our needs, but we'll put out in-kind needs. People can... Uh, engage in in-kind collection drives and those types of things, or people can call us and say, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to s sponsor something financial. Talk to me about that, you know, because uh, for an example, you know, we've had groups that have really pulled their money and $500 would sponsor a meal for, for our shelter guests, but it can also be something at a much smaller level. So there are all those kinds of things to do. And what I would say is there is going to be a time that we reopen our doors and welcome back volunteers. And I would encourage you to continue to be in contact with us. But in addition to that, particularly for those people who want to dig deep, you know, and they really want to be a part is make sure that you're reading and you're learning and you're understanding the issues around homelessness. One thing that we offer to groups, you know, it could be your uh, faith group, it could be your civic group, it could be your part of an office, uh, is we'd be happy to set up uh, a virtual presentation because we can't really do that in person where you uh, engage in a session with us where we can share with you about the issues we address, but it's also time for you to ask questions. And now what I would say is we've had many groups who have signed up to have their group of friends prepare X number of sandwiches that they're going to be putting together and they will all be doing it at their separate locations and they'll set up a Zoom call before they all get ready to put their sandwiches together. We'll come in for 15 or 20 minutes and have that conversation. Because uh, what I would say is 
if you start to become educated and learn about what, what are these deeper issues around housing, uh, what are the dis- issues around homelessness, then you'll start to see ways that you can engage, ways that you can advocate. You know, we love when people say, I'm so fulfilled by doing 100 sandwiches and I delivered it today to the Day Services Center. Love you for that. And we need it. And what we want you to also do is say, why the heck do I even have to make 100 sandwiches? What's the deeper issue there? Please, let's talk about this because the community has to come together on how to solve some of these issues. And the community is made up of individuals. And if we have individuals that think the answer just might be, well, let's just make sandwiches, which is wonderful. Uh, we want you to take it a step further. We're going to ask even more of you. Uh, learn, uh, be an advocate, understand what are the policies out there that are that are such barriers for these types of things. Be able to be a voice when you engage in dialogue with your coworkers, your friends, and not in a mean way, in an educated way. Right. And I think that's incredibly helpful. Yes, and I think that that's important for people. I love that, that education component because I think what's been... Um, sort of the double-edged sword with the the tent city is that people see it and they're moved to action, but they miss that education part. And so they might have moved to an action that isn't necessarily benefiting, even though that wasn't their intent. And so I would just say that if you have good intentions, educate them (laughs) so that that they're funneled in the the right way. It is a system of change. We have to remember that the a system that has created challenges around housing to change that is going to take a system to change it. And we understand that it that takes time. And so a lot of people are like, that's great. We're all for, but we're, we want to do something right now. And so there are those opportunities. And I will say uh, when we can reopen and, and, and welcome back volunteers, uh, there are a myriad of ways from, from an individual helping in our day services center, or even the shelter to, to a lot of group activities as well. Well, awesome. Randall, I want to thank you so much for taking your time um, and sharing your experience with Do Good Charlotte. Um, Thanks for sharing your story and for all your good. Um, Do you know someone else like Randall or Roof Above who is doing good in our community? Let me know. Tell me about someone or a nonprofit organization that should be heard on Do Good Charlotte. Reach out to me, Pamela Escobar, on social media. I'm Reporter Pam on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or go to the Queen City Podcast Network page and fill out the contact form for Do Good Charlotte. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it. I'm Pamela Escobar. Thanks for listening to Do Good Charlotte on the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina.